welcome to episode number six of Josh's Worst Nightmare Podcast presented by Denver Horror Collective. I am your host, Josh Schlossberg, surveying the dark landscape of biological horror fiction. For this episode, we have Matthew Lyons. Matthew Lyons is the author of the novel, The Night Will Find Us, as well as over three dozen short stories appearing in the 2018 edition of Best American Short Stories. Kazine and more. Born in Colorado, he lives with his wife and their cat. Welcome to Josh's Worst Nightmare. Thank you so much for having me on, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm psyched you're here. And I, I was going to say, I discovered you. <laughs> I personally came upon you first when you submitted a story to Terror at 5280, which is Denver Horror Collective's first anthology all Colorado authors, all stories based in Colorado. And you wrote a story. So I was the lead editor for that. You wrote a story called The Depths. Am I allowed to talk yeah. about where, where it's supposed to take place? Or would you? Please, write? absolutely. I, so, I wrote that with uh, the idea that people are going to be like, oh, shit, I know where this is. So it rang, it rang true to me because you wrote about Rocky Flats, which is a former nuclear right. weapons production facility outside of Boulder. And I, as a journalist, had been writing a lot on that. And I think you, you take a little bit of liberties, obviously, in your um, own story. <laughs> but a little bit. It was so pertinent to what I was working on. And it was just a kick-ass story that was super well-written that it, it leads off the anthology as this is what you're in for if you pick up Terror at 5280. So if you want to read that, folks, I've pitched the book before. Obviously, you can go to denverhorror.com. It's on Amazon. It's all over the place. You can find it in audio. You can find it paperback, ebook, whatever. So I can that vouch that Terror at 5280 rules. It was it's a fantastic collection. It does rule. And you know, we have everyone from, you know, big names like Carter Wilson, Stephen Graham Jones, and Matthew Lyons, and then folks uh, such as myself and and lots of different folks. So anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about why you're on the podcast. So all about biological horror, which I define as based on the definition of biology, which is living creatures and vital processes. I ask an author, come up with a topic that's relevant to your writing, and we'll talk about it for a little bit. Sure. And so the topic that I, I sort of coerced you into <laughs> is, <laughs> is forests, right? Yes. Yes. Forests and horror. Forests and horror. So really I'm, interesting. Yeah, well, I love that topic, as you can tell how excited I am. And I read your novel, The Night Will Find You, and um, find us, sorry. The Night Will Find right. Us, which is a, a, a tremendous book. So good that we actually chose it for our upcoming DHC book cult. So we're going to be uh, discussing that. So it takes place in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. And I'm just going to read a brief section, and then I'm actually going to let you talk. <laughs> Don't worry. So... Here is a brief section from The Night Will Find Us. Chloe angled the van down Route 10, then took a hard right onto 287 a few miles later, eventually heading south on the turnpike toward the Barrens. When they turned off the highway almost two hours later, the forest rose up from the horizon in a green and brown wave that crashed over them and dragged them under, leaving the sky and sunlight behind, obscured by densely packed trees. The pine barrens were massive, a sprawling wood that 
blanket at most of the lower half of the state, stretching out to cover something like a million acres of land all told. It wasn't just a forest, it was a green ocean that stretched on and on forever, punctuated by the occasional column of sunlight that managed to break through the treetops to spear into the earth below. So that's what you're getting yourself into if you pick up The Night Will Find Us. And as somebody who is a forest aficionado who can really pick out the difference between people who accurately describe nature in a way that makes me feel like I'm there versus just, oh, yeah, there was just a wall of trees, you know, nothing to see. There. You did an, a, a really amazing job of that. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. I, it was really important for me to get it right because the Pine Barrens are such I guess I've long been fascinated with the idea of feral places. You can kind of see this in the depths as well, right? My story from Terra 5280. There's something about places that have almost been taken back by the world, but the world in this sort of biological nightmare version of itself. Um, that's always fascinated me. And the Pine Barrens are, I, I, I mean, you said it in the passage, it's, a million square acres in the middle of New Jersey. And everybody thinks New Jersey is just like highways and bodegas and bagel shops. And that's true, but there's also this fucking massive forest in the center of it that is almost unexpected. It's, it's massive. Mm -hmm. And there's so many scary stories that could happen there and I'm sure have happened there. But yeah, it's just one of those feral places that has always captivated my my uh attention i suppose yeah well it's a really unique ecosystem it's sort of sandy and then there are of course pine trees and they're not super super tall but a lot of them can actually be fairly old they don't grow giant necessarily most of them but my grandparents lived in southern jersey so i would drive past there all the time we yeah we'd be in like northern jersey and like typical Jersey. And then it's like, you're just going right. through this wilderness of pines and yeah, it, well, that's where the Jersey devil lives and things yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And the, um, the, so the night will find us started off from like, it's, it's very tiniest first kernel was like, what about the Jersey devil? And like, I think we can do better, but um, you're right. Like at one, like when you get anywhere close to the pine barrens, it's, like you're in the known new, known New Jersey, right? And then it's like someone throws a switch. And you're like, we're in the woods now. What the hell happened? And it's not, they're not huge in terms of like verticality, right. but they can, it can be super dense, but they're also these like rolling, like almost field-like sections. There's such a, a, a sense of biological diversity in the Pine Barrens that, I, in writing the book, didn't, I wasn't worried at all. It's like, well, it's just going to be woods, but like, no, there's, there's enough different kinds of woods in those woods mm -hmm. that it allowed for, I think, hopefully interesting, a, a variety of interesting settings. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you do stay in the forest almost pretty much entirely the entire book. Yep. Yeah, that is. Um, and like, it was, I mean, everybody cuts stuff from their work. Everybody, you know, things get edited out. Uh, but one of the things that I ended up really choosing was keeping everything in the woods there because, like, we've all been camping. We've all we all know what it's like out in the out in the out in the woods where you feel sort of lost, and it it's 
at once claustrophobic and agoraphobic. Mm. And there's nowhere in the world that does both of those feelings simultaneously, like the woods and specifically the Pine Barrens, because again, New Jersey is supposed to be a civilized place, but you go into this feral wilderness out of nowhere and all the rules are just fucking gone. And I love that. Yeah. Also, can I swear on this podcast? I'm sorry, I should have asked. Yeah, yeah, as much as much as you like. It has to be swears in foreign languages, though. That's the only thing. I, I think I can I can work with that. German, okay? Yes, please. Excellent. All right. <laughs> so yeah, the agoraphobia and claustrophobia at the same time. Forests are just creepy, right? Like I I'm a big hiker. I go into the wilderness pretty much every week. I live now up in the mountains. But I have to admit, the forests also scare the shit out of me. Like, I, I love yeah. them. They're my favorite place. But there have been places that I've been, and I'm like, this is an ugly, forbidding area that doesn't care if I'm alive or dead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love those moments where you realize that, like, the Disney, the Disney-fied version of the forest is gone. It's That's just, it. like, you've wandered into places with, like, blackened trunks and, like, like scrubby plant life and there's not really dirt so much as just like detritus blanketing <laughs> the ground like it feels forbidden it feels deeply foreboding and i recognize that like for a horror for a, a couple horror authors like using the word foreboding feels a little on the nose but it super does it feels that there's that sense of wrongness in the air mm -hmm. that can happen kind of out of nowhere and i think that that's always really fascinated me mm -hmm. well yeah that's the thing it does have both the beauty like pastoral beauty i live out here and there are places in the woods and i'm just like it's like beethoven six like like just beautiful and perfect i expect like nymphs to come out of the trees and <laughs> right and then a thunderstorm comes and lightning all around mm. me and it's like i'm in hell i'm like oh yep. man i gotta crouch down so it can turn on a dime and because it it has all of those elements of just life itself, I find it fascinating. I'm I love the forest, but at the same time, I don't pretend that yeah, they're just these pure places of of goodness and light. It's all right. the above. Yeah, absolutely. There's a moment in I don't know. I think you spend enough time in the woods in the forest, out amongst the trees, and you're gonna see the mask fall, right? Like at a certain point you realize that as beautiful and pastoral as these places can be, they're wild, they're feral. And if you are not on your game, if you are not paying a, like attention in the right place, you're a little bit fucked maybe. And I don't know, that's a very unique kind of dread that has always permeated everything that I've loved about horror, right? Like all the best, all the best stories have that, all the best scary stories have a, an element of dread to them and that dread is the dread you get in the woods is you can't replicate it mm -hmm. well we come from the forest right if you believe that we yeah. evolved from apes and i think we have every reason to believe that depending on what you, you believe okay we're, we're in agreement on that so we come from the forest they're both our safe haven right so right. The, the idea of we probably used to climb up the trees or just it's it's safety in the forest at the same time there are literally monsters in the forest still to right. this day. Like I, I ran into a bear over the fall and oh, yeah. mountain lions. Like, so there are monsters that killed us 
in the woods. So it's both our home, it, food comes there, it's shelter, and it's also a murder house. Yeah, right. And there's like this very cool dichotomy about it that is, and when like a, a and not just the night will find us. I hope the night will find us, but in a, in really great horror stories about the woods, you get both of those things, right? You get that sense of like closeness and home and like, oh, I can just bed down anywhere and put down a tent and I'll be great. And this is, this is so natural and normal and safe. And then something goes so very wrong and you're like, oh, that was just an illusion. That was a lie that I told me to help me get to sleep. Shit. Yes. Yeah. Well, as somebody who has personally been an environmentalist and advocated for forest. There's a part of me that's like, well, here I am doing the demonization of nature that say the early settlers used to be like, oh, the natives live out there. This is the bad demon woods and stuff like that. But, but at the same time, it's like, well, let's, let's not pretend. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, if I make enough people afraid, they'll stay away from my hiking trails. So that's part right. of what I support as well. But I'm what, what actually made you want to write a book that took place in the forest besides these things? I mean, like you're like, oh, forests are cool, but not sure. everyone actually chooses that route. Or maybe they'll have one little element where they get lost in the woods. Your book is is all in the forest. Why did you decide to actually coalesce around that? I mean, there are a few reasons. Like I could talk about this for hours. Um, part of it I kind of touched on a little bit, the idea that keeping the story functionally within the forest the whole time, except for, I believe, one chapter and the epilogue, right. um, it keeps that dread on 100% of the time. You do not get to feel comfortable. You do not get to feel at ease even when, like, if there are a bunch of dumb teens. What are we doing, cool teens? Why are you just going and wandering? It's like, we're going to figure out how to camp. We probably know how to do this. But so from the jump, you have this moment of like, they're in over their heads. And then I just wanted to refuse to let up mm -hmm. because that dread is so unique to the forest that I wanted to basically soak the book in that. Sure. Yeah. So the unrelenting nature of it, as opposed to, oh, yeah. they're back in town. And then there's a bit of that reprieve, as you say, oh, now we're in surroundings that we can control, but exactly. you're not. So yeah, I just, no chance to take a breath. Is, is I love those books, even though like I'm an anxious person. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things give me the bad nerves, but being able to write it and, and provide that sense of like, this doesn't let up, this right. doesn't stop until it's over. Good luck. Um, there was something so captivating about that to me. Sure. And it's important for folks to know that even though your forest, your story is like all about being in the forest, it's really about obviously the characters and I'm not going to reveal anything, of course, but the evil that is generated, and it's not nature's fault in this. It's case. not nature's fault. It, 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 there's, but there are things that hide in the shadows, right? There are things that can escape the human eye. And again, where better to have? Where better for these kind of eldritch horrors to hide than in a million square acres of uninhabited wilderness? Sure. Yeah. You know, so that sort of option. There are some undertones of other popular fiction that takes place in the woods in terms of Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. um, so Evil Dead, right? Anything like Cabin yeah. in the Woodsy thing, even though this is more uh, camping in the woods kind of stuff. So were yeah. you influenced by those? 
I would say the two biggest influences on the night will find us. I guess let's say three. Two of them are not horror. Um, Blair Witch, obviously, like a bunch of bickering youths lost in the woods. God, I love that trope. That's fun. Mm -hmm. That's just ripe for human drama. Um, the other two that aren't horror are the Pine Barrens episode of The Sopranos and The Breakfast Club. Yeah. And like those I, I watched from a probably too young an age. Uh, but ever since that point, it's like I can mix these all together and make a pretty good horror story but yeah. something about Blair Witch man that the first time I saw that it, it haunted me and it still haunts me I think it's got one of the best spoilers for Blair Witch I guess the ending is one of the scariest endings to any movie I've ever seen it's mm -hmm. picture perfect mm -hmm. but it's because of that unknown right that that feral element of the woods being hostile all along yeah there's nowhere to sort of protect yourself. And I watched that movie in the theaters when it first came out. And it was literally either the night before or a couple of days before I was going on a two week backpacking trip on the long trail, which is oh God, backpacking. It's basically the um, Appala Appalachian trail section yeah. in Vermont. And so that's that's what I prepared myself oh, for. Oh, Josh, why would you do that to yourself, man? Yeah, well, I, I scarred myself a little bit. But when we were out there, those little trinkets, people had made them and were kind of oh. hanging them from the trees and stuff Stop like that. that. <laughs> no, no, Vito. Oh, Jesus, that's horrible. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit disturbing. But yeah, I, I'm personally not, it's not the forest I'm afraid of. It's, yeah, the lunatics. And what I actually learned oh. is that so if you're afraid of axe murders, axe murders don't really hike very far. You know, they, they stay yeah. close to their vans and stuff like that. So if you hike they're, several miles, you're good. Yeah, you'll be fine. But the idea oh, of yeah. it's always a threat. So I think that is what uh, applies in Blair Witch Project. Like you're, you're never safe because you're in your little flimsy tent. And what are you right. going to really protect yourself? How are you going to protect yourself that way? So there was a time where I lived. So I used to live in near my college in Vermont, I would live in the woods during the summer, sometimes yeah. in a tent. One time it was in this little, it was a shack. It was like right. the, the uh, evil dead cabin is a mansion compared to this place that I was living at. Okay. So it was just this little tiny shack and it had a door and you could sort of, we had to twine it because the raccoons would get in. And here's the thing I noticed, the scariest part. So I'd walk back for about a half a mile from the road to the place, usually at night. I was using an oil lantern. I don't know why. Oh my God. It was, I was like 20. I, I was, How did you not get murdered? Well, I'll explain why I didn't get murdered in a second. But basically we would walk through and that part wasn't the scariest part. The scariest part was the unraveling of the door and like, getting in the door. And then all of a sudden I felt like a thing was behind me, but I started oh, thinking about, so I started actually sleeping out in this sort of screened in gazebo we made that had no real walls. It just kept out the bugs. And right. that actually made me less afraid because I was like, here I am. There is no division between, there's no safe and unsafe. I just decided right. everything would be safe. So we do, okay. we do bring these divisions where we're like, our house is safe. This area is not. When we're in the woods, we tend to think of it as all unsafe. But I sort of switched my thinking around. And here's the thing. I, I was walking around out there in the woods and stuff like that. And I was thinking about um, a friend of mine once told me this thing. He's like, what if one night you're walking back and there's just 
some dark figure leaning against some tree and it doesn't say anything. And I would think about that. I'm like, that's a frightening image. And then here's the thing I was thinking. I was like, wait a second. I'm the weird guy walking around in the woods. You it's are me. you are the guy holding the oil lantern traversing the woods. It's me. It's not good. There's not going to be two of us. So after that, I felt safe. So, so yeah, Blair Witch Project. So you mentioned Breakfast Club, obviously not, not the setting element, but the characters. Yeah. Sort of those, those like teenage archetypes, right? Like the jock, the popular one, the sporty one, the nerd, the antagonist, like I also added in like the metal head, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, like those archetypes fascinate me because whether we like it, whether, whether we like it or not, we fall into those archetypes as a kid. There's a reason that they resonate to this day and taking those kinds of character tropes, archetypes, and putting them in a situation where they're literally going to fucking die is, oh, I was for me a way to study that because Teenagers, like, there's something about being a teenager and the world feels like it's going to kill you, right? Like, you feel like it's you against the world and you and your friends against the world, you and your little circle. And then, okay, let's see how well that actually works. That was the other thing is that being able to take those ideas and, and setups and literally make it a life and death situation. It's fun. I mean, I think. There's a reason that a lot of slasher movies, not a lot of slasher movies anymore, um, but classic slasher movies like feature teenagers because they are not rational people yet. They are very antagonistic to the world around them and they are all, they're all reactionaries. So being able to take like the human drama and play it for empathy, sure, but also for scares and then put it in a situation where there are no lines between like safe and unsafe. We as humans are really good at saying that we're safe when we're super not. Like, and I get that, that's, a, that's an evolutionary tactic. We've learned to just find safety where we can get it. Mm -hmm. But putting the lack of safety front and center is always gonna be what drives horror to me because mm -hmm. we're all scared all the time. That's just part of being a person and when you can't ignore it or lie to yourself and say oh it's probably fine all right let's see how far things can go definitely and yeah you play off some of those breakfast club tropes but the characters do stand out as unique individuals and the more we get to know them we realize that they're not just these caricatures i think it's helpful to yeah. give people all right here's the concept here's the gist of the thing we like to have categories but is is the who who's the main character's name? Is it Parker? Uh, the, the there's male, Parker and there's Chloe. The male the, the male main character though he yes. he's I mean he's a very unique character that's kind of even hard to fit into any of those characters. Yeah, he's characters. he's an interesting type. He um he and I mentioned empathy because I think one of the things that fascinates me most about horror is whether or not the author, the screenwriter, the whatever the artist behind it believes in human empathy right spoiler for the night will find us like 30 pages in somebody gets shot in the head and then we spend all pretty much the rest of the book with the murderer but in exploring how like it's an unforgivable act sure but in finding that human elements um 
I think that it keeps it from becoming just another slasher flick in some right. way. Yeah, I thought that was a really a unique twist. And I think that's that's the kind of fiction that I like the best that challenges me in terms of, well, what is good, what is bad, what is forgivable, what is not versus just right. these clear black and white, because that's some people like to see the world that way. I personally sure. don't as much anymore. Yeah, me either. So I think it's like, okay, wow, I've got to maybe, I don't want to say forgive this individual, but it's like, okay, why did right. he do that? Or he had this other things going on. And I, I don't think it turns, maybe by the end of the book, you just, you're just a sociopath and then you're just like, everything is fine. Maybe there's no morality. No, but that's not what the book's about at all. Though. No, it's, it's about empathy. It's about how everybody, even the fuck ups deserve a chance to be understood. And that's something that like, I mean, again, talk about like Blair Witch, talk about Breakfast Club, like the best horror. <laughs> did I just call Breakfast Club a horror movie? It kind <laughs> of is. Um, but I think the best horror runs on empathy because yes. we all know what it feels like to be scared out of our minds for good reason or not. And the more you can find people to, the more you, you as an author can get people to, to identify with that. The more you can scare them, but the more you can kind of affect them, which I think is, you know, kind of the point of art, right? Yeah. Yeah. You would think so. Yeah. So, yeah. So. And I think you do a great job of it. And yeah, I do yeah. think maybe sometimes the idea of if you make, like in a lot of the slasher films are these one dimensional characters, it's so you don't have as much empathy. So when they die, you can not be as affected or sort of laugh at it. Cause you're like, I don't care. Right. It's just, you know, the, the stoner or whatever. Right. You have people cheering as Jason decapitates 30 people. Right. And you don't care about I'm, it. I'm not going to lie. I, I will cheer when Jason kills camp counselors. I'm not better than that. And I'm absolutely going to go see the new Halloween movie because it looks dope as hell. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that the new Halloween movies are going to do is it gets you to kind of really root for Lori. People are not necessarily rooting just for Michael Myers anymore. Right. But uh, that empathy, right? It's, it's a huge part of it. Yeah. Well, another piece of fiction that you had mentioned in our email was The Fisherman by John Langan. I believe that's Yeah. Right. Now, I read oh, that. Man. I read that, actually. And yeah. uh, so that takes place in upstate New York, not too far from where I grew up. It's funny, all this stuff. I, oh. can, I can always find some connection. But that's uh, right. so it's, I mean, do we want to very quickly try to describe the fisherman i mean i can try it's i know it's a, it's a deceptively complex book it is um it, so the fisherman is basically the story of two men both of whom have suffered catastrophic losses in their lives and they find solace in a friend in a shared friendship between the two of them but also in their shared love of fishing and they go fishing to this sort of forgotten valley in uh this forgotten like river in uh the hudson valley in new york and end up hearing sort of tale of someone else who loved fishing in this same area and may have stumbled upon something far beyond their own understanding yes that's a great descriptor and one of the things that's definitely in common with yours, obviously, it takes place in the forest there, but there is 
a whole section in that book where it goes into the past. So sort of past right. settlements. Again, I don't want to give anything away about your book, but I think we could say that there is a little bit to do with people who used to live in the area. And to me, I'm always fa fascinated by old, in Vermont, there would be these old basements, these rock stone foundations are just these ancient basements from the 1700s or maybe earlier. And yeah, I, all around New York state, New England, particularly. Yeah, and there are ghost towns in the Pine Barrens, right? Like there are settlements around the edges and, and closer to the center, but um, there are just towns that have been there since the 1600s and they're not there, they're not like towns anymore, they're like museums and ruins. Right. But that speaks to sort of that human drive to conquer the unknown in a lot of ways. And sort of like, we're gonna go into like the depths of this forest and we're going to build a town because this is our land and it's like mm -hmm. oh no the land might disagree with you on that but mm -hmm. thanks for playing exactly it's uh yeah i, I love that and, and one of the things about uh the fisherman by, by john langan is that i think that's probably the high water mark for describing the wilderness in mm -hmm. horror mm -hmm. like the first time I read that, I was just like, okay, I guess I'm just going to go right in a cabin for a week because yeah. I need to be in like out of the city and into sort of the forest. And it was a fan. And I did that. I actually um, nice. kind of adjourned to uh, my parents-in-law's cabin in the foothills and just holed up and wrote for a week. And it was fantastic. But it was all because John Langan can write the wilderness better than anyone like you read that book and you can smell the woods yeah. it's stunning it's an excellent triumph. book and it and there's one image and it's not tying into the forest and i'm not going to say what it is but there's one image in that book that is one of the most evocative powerful images that i've ever read in not just horror fiction but fiction in general oh, yeah. so yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we maybe talk about it afterwards. I don't want to give, I definitely don't want to give anything away. Yeah, no, if you're if you're listening to this, go read The Fisherman, please. Yeah. It's a fantastic book. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. And I think the idea of these old settlements, so back in the day, they were literally carved out of the forest, right? People right. hacked it in and made these little places that were almost sort of piddling compared to the wilderness around them. They're almost sort of sad and, and weak compared to the the wilds that are encroaching. And then they live there for a while. And then we see them these days and it's like nature come back. It's taking yeah. it in full circle. Oh yeah. And um, even, but even the successful ones end up kind of running fallow, right? Like um, I know not everybody was hot on it, but that movie, the witch, mm -hmm. like that, that movie does a really great job of being like, even if you are moderately capable at life, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at living in the woods. Yeah. Just because you can build a log cabin doesn't mean that you're not absolutely screwed when the chips are down. Right. It's that I love that movie for the sense of encroaching wilderness because everybody in that movie is so profoundly out of their depth among amongst the trees that again that dread that sort of ever present dread just sort of bubbles up from the from the from the soil and doesn't let you go and I love that. Yeah. Well, that would definitely be a great installment in the folk horror world, which is something that I'm oh, yeah. I'm a huge fan of and didn't realize oh, I yeah. was actually writing prior. And there's a book I'm working on right now that is environmental folk horror, basically in the, the forest. Uh -oh. But the witch is definitely a great example of that. And yeah, to survive in 
in the wild and then being isolated. So that's the big element of folk horror amongst a few other elements is isolation in a yeah. landscape. Oh yeah. I, I think that folk horror is, and it's kind of having a bit of a, of a, a moment. I think it's been coming back for a few years and I think it's going to continue being here because I mean, it should, especially with the pandemic, right. Isolation is something we all know uh, a bit more about now. And, take that into a natural setting and the fear just sort of is it's a natural byproduct at that point right like folk horror is is fascinating and and i will even say that i like the this is a this is a telling on myself a little bit i even like parts of the nicholas cage baker man because it does that sort of isolation really well you also have nick cage going batshit nuts which good and bad parts but it, there are parts of it that underscore the isolation that this colony feels mm-hmm. so much better than it's given credit for. Yeah, no, bad ho- folk horror is better than just most things. So I would choose, I would just choose crappy. The worst folk horror is still pretty good because it has all of those elements that I find fascinating. So, oh, most definitely. Yes. So, would you consider your novel to be folk horror? I think so. I think it's a, a folk horror take on kind of established like cabin in the woods tropes in a lot of ways, because you get that element of the past, right? There, there are parts, again, no spoilers, but like there are parts where you run into for, like settlements that used to be places that are abandoned, places that have been devoured by the woods. And you get this sense that there's more to this place than just what these teens are <laughs> encountering. Yep. And I think that that sense of place and history is what drives really good folk horror. So if, if, if I did my job right, the night will find us has a little bit of folk horror in it. Yeah. Well, there are these four elements that are supposedly a part of folk horror, whether you want to consider that academically right. or not. And yours does qualify for the different parts. It's like isolation, oh, landscape, um, strange, uh, I don't want to say rituals, but they can be an element of that. And then a big happening. So right. you know, a lot of that's, things can really fit into folk horror. Um, and yours, I would say, I definitely, definitely does. Definitely I love that. that. Those are really interesting criteria because you're right. Like they're in that with those criteria in place, a lot of things can be folk horror in really interesting ways and things you wouldn't have previously considered because everybody thinks like, the wicker man every like the witch right solid folk horror but yeah oh man now i'm gonna be thinking about those criteria a lot actually and yeah oh this is folk horror shit and then my wife's gonna be like we're watching a movie can we (laughs) stop analyzing it yeah no it's it's hard to not once you know how the the sausage is made to a certain degree but yeah there are a lot of things i mean that that can fall under that and yeah i think there's going to be more and more of that and I think the forest is always going to be a super important element. And that is the classic, the classic folk horror element. And there's just so much resonance with everything, you know, mythologically speaking, or just in terms of the survival aspects. So I don't think forest horror is ever going away. I personally, I I try to read everything I can on that. And there is uh, one of my favorite books on it, since this is the forest topic, it's really coming down. Rain, rain is coming down really oh, is it hard. Raining right there? Yeah, it's uh, you got Not looking too nice here either. Big uh, thunderstorm. So, Good. a book called Sylvan Dread 
by, he's my favorite, I call him my favorite not dead horror author. His name is Richard Gavin. And Ooh, okay. I was just, I was at a bookstore a few years ago in Boulder and I was just perusing the titles as I like to do. And it said Sylvan Dread on the side. I'm like, I like Sylvan. That means forest. Dread. Right. Who doesn't like Dread? And so oh, I yeah. looked at it and it had this folk horror tales of pastoral darkness on the cover. And it is one oh. of my favorite books. Every single one of the stories takes place in the forest. So if folks are interested in a forest horror, I mean, there's no real lack of them, but that is to me, one of the, the crowning achievements in that. Awesome. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to pick that up. Yeah. Sylvan Dread by Richard Gavin. It's uh, it's quite phenomenal, but I loved having you on the podcast. But before you go, I want to ask you, what are you working on now and where can we find your stuff? Uh, so you can find me online at MatthewLyonsAuthor.com. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at, uh, at CannibalGhosts. Uh, right now, I've been working on a couple of short stories that are going to be coming out in different avenues uh, later this year. And I've been working mercilessly on editing my second novel, which is called A Black and Endless Sky. Uh, I've been, it's horror, obviously. I've been describing it as Little Miss Sunshine meets The Exorcist. Wow. So um, it's going to be good. I think it's going to be a cool one. It's a little uh, a little different than The Night Will Find Us, but it still mostly takes place outside in the wilds. So that'll be fun. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. So yeah, maybe the other one in Forest, so that says Sky, it all takes place in the air. They're all just- Oh yeah, no. It's, uh, so it's a road trip story. It's nice. about these two siblings that set out on the road from San Francisco to uh, Albuquerque, and one of them ends up uh, possessed. As often happens on road trips. So. As often happens. Somebody always goes crazy. On road trips. <laughs> That's awesome. That sounds really great. Well, I'm looking forward to that. So Thank thanks you. again, Matthew, for coming on the podcast. Thanks for all the stuff that you're putting out there into the world. Thank you for having me on. This has been a blast. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thanks for taking a trip with me through Josh's Worst Nightmare, where I, Josh Schlossberg, survey the dark landscape of biological horror fiction presented by Denver Horror Collective. If you don't want to miss any of the great, and sometimes disturbing, weekly episodes I've got planned for you, be sure to subscribe to Josh's Worst Nightmare on a variety of podcast platforms. You can also sign up for Josh's Worst Nightmare e-newsletter at joshsworstnightmare.com, where I share a whole squirming mess of bio-horror, including my infamous haiku horror reviews and my latest dark scribblings. Speaking of which, if you haven't already picked up a copy of my cosmic biological folk horror novella, Moline, from D&T Publishing, you can find a copy of the paperback, hardcover, or ebook at Amazon, Godless.com, or Josh'sWorstNightmare.com. Yours darkly, Josh Schlossberg. <laughs>